I'm so excited. I know you guys remember Russell Johnson, who was with us a couple times already, and he has been such a blessing to me in our journey, such a great support, and he's back with us this morning to share um, some, a great message of encouragement with us today. So please welcome Russell Johnson. It's good to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Philippians 2. It's encouraging to be here in the life of this church. I see people here early in the morning preparing. I see people here that are praying and preparing through the week. Uh, over the years, leaders who have been in the trenches serving and caring and making a difference. The Impact Christian Church, I believe, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the imaginations of your heart what God has in store for this church family. I've seen the different ministries to young people, the different outreaches to, to those that are broken and wounded. I'm encouraged God has raised up Pastor Bill, been here about 20 years, I believe now, with a heart for the life of this place, and Dale and others alongside. A tremendous harvest of changed lives in the offing. The best years are yet to come. Help churches across the country. Over 300 congregations uh, have been touched in some way, specifically in the last few years, 291 that we're engaged with in a deep way. Uh, Doug Crozier has led more than 1,400 restoration movement churches in just the last 26 years. At crossroads between yesterday and tomorrow, we become a Christian credit union that are 6,400 plus investors. We've piled our various savings and our retirement funds or whatever, about 781 million into 291 churches. 10 years later, 132,000 people before COVID were attending in these life-giving churches. 32,400 baptized. We are a part of our network, an encouraging team seeking to lift up the broken, the least, the last, we believe that the hunger for hope is escalating. The hunger for hope is growing because people need a living God and a loving Savior and to know that God's not given up on them. In Philippians 2, Paul writes in the epistle of joy, he writes this epistle of joy from a cell block. He's in prison, he's waiting to be executed, and yet he is writing the epistle of joy. He understands that this world is a passing fad, and the God that gave him the miracle of this moment will give him the miracle of the eternal moment. The God that gave him a breath to breathe will give him the celestial breath. The God who raised Jesus, his son from the dead, will resurrect our dust and give us an everlasting life. He says in Philippians 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any communion in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, value others better than your own personal interest. But he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, have the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. 
He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. We're living in a world that has been broken by discouragement. Suicide is at an all-time high, the number two cause of death for those 18 to 35 among men. An epidemic of discouragement. I believe this morning our world is in desperate need of a baptism of encouragement. The life of the church ought to be the source of life, love, and eternal encouragement. Everybody needs it. Anybody can give it. I believe the church ought to be the most encouraging square footage in the life of the community. When people get up in the morning on Sunday, they ought to say, somebody's going to be there to smile, love. Even beyond the mask, they can sense a smile. They can sense life and love and greeting and warmth and welcome. This morning, if you've ever been caring deeply about anything, you can have seasons of discouragement. Maybe you've been discouraged by life, your health, your job. You make an effort for something worthwhile if you love. If you're spending yourself for what you believe in, there will be seasons of discouragement. It's inevitable. It's a part of life. We're human. We're in a broken world. We're living in broken lives. For us to have an occasional bout of discouragement is real for every believer. But to live in discouragement, to choose to abide and to live in discouragement day in and day out, I think can be a snare of the devil to rob you of your mission, to rob you of your peace and your joy. Satan wants you bound by the devastations of yesterday to steal your peace in the present and to rob you of your potential in the future. Satan wants us in a bondage of discouragement. In discouragement, it can be dissatisfaction with the past, a distaste for the present, and a distrust for God to help us in the future. To decide to live in discouragement can be an ingratitude of the blessings of yesterday, an indifference to the opportunities of today, an insecurity about God's ability to provide for our tomorrows. Where does discouragement come from? that all of us face, every single one of us, despite what kind of car you drove in here this morning, despite your level of job or wherever you're at in life, young or old, all of us, every single one of us will face opportunities of discouragement. Where does it come from? I think number one, it's Satan sent. Satan wants to discourage us from serving. He wants to discourage us from enjoying the goodness of God from celebrating the awesome treasure of life. Revelation 12.10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Who do you think you are taking communion this morning, Satan whispers? I know what your thought life was like last week. I know the bitterness in your heart, the lust in your life, the greed in your days. Who do you think you are? Satan accuses us of our past to rob us of God's blessing in the presence. Satan says, you messed up again. Who do you think you are leading in ministry as a, a deacon? You can see the fingerprints of Lucifer. Helpless, hopeless, worthless. Give up. God is the author of life. Satan is the author of death. When you hear the words helpless, hopeless, worthless, give up. Suicide. Lucifer is on the other end of that communication. 
I grew up listening to the Carpenters. Tell my age here, grandparents. How many of you all can remember hearing, we've only just begun. How many can you remember a few of you here? There's a few grandparents in the room. <laughs> Karen Carpenter had been blessed with one of the most beautiful, awesome voices. But she read in a newspaper a smart aleck journalist who wrote, Ricky Carpenter and his chubby little sister Karen. She cut out the little piece that said chubby little sister and she put it on mirrors from city to city as they did concerts. Focusing and preoccupying herself on that negative image, she became bulimic, anorexic, she died in early life at 32 with dozens of ballads yet to be sung, dozens of songs yet to be done, and she died an early death, I think preoccupied with the pain of her life. Discouraged, not only the enemy, Satan, but also we're living in a fallen world. Our health, our finances, loneliness, hormonal imbalances, chemical struggles within the body, we're in a fallen world. Bad things are going to happen to good people in this life. I've seen decent people going down the road who've been hit by a drunk driver. For a grandma and grandpa doing their wonderful best, they pulled in, they got hit by a drunk driver, took them both. Somebody said unfair. Absolutely right. This life is unfair. Don't look for the balances of justice to weigh out in this world. God has an eternity and everlasting always to set right the brief wrongs of this passing world. We're in a fallen world. I thank God that while life is not fair, God is faithful. And I think it's on the screen right here behind us. Set that next slide if you could, if you might. It says here that God can take us beyond self-inflicted rebellion. Where does, say, where does discouragement come from? It can come from being in a fallen world. It can come from being in Satan's uh, arms and reach, but also, at times, self-inflicted guilt, self-pity, victimization. Often the consequences of sin, I think, can be discouraging. You bought the lie of buy now, buy now, pay later, and now it's later. You bought the lie of Disobeying God in your moral life, and now there are consequences. You badmouth your boss at work, and now it's time for the annual review. That can be discouraging. This morning, our world is in desperate need of a word of encouragement. Paul brings us that word of encouragement from a dungeon, from a prison. They didn't have nice air conditioning. They didn't have nice water facilities. These dungeons were epic, cruel places. He sends us a word of encouragement if there's any encouragement from being united with Christ. I believe that the Impact Church could be one of the most encouraging square feet in all of Pittsburgh. Impact Christian Church could be a destination place for people who can have forgiveness, discover mercy, to understand that God's grace is greater than my disgrace. God's grace greater than my disgrace. Say that with me. God's grace greater than my disgrace. That God wants to unleash me from everything that Satan has tried to bind me. He wants to be our encourager. He's our creator, our provider, our encourager. He's the author of Resurrection Hope. And this morning, there's an encouragement from all places that prison. The Apostle Paul sends us that word. 
Now, God so loved the world, he sent his son, Jesus, to be an encourager. He lifts up the fallen. God sent the Holy Spirit to this place to enliven, to affirm, empower. He wants us to be encouraged. He gave us his word to strengthen and to encourage. He left this church with the, the cross, the sign of the plus sign. If God be for us, who can be against us? The sign of the cross, the communion of heaven, a communication of love, and a communion of servants to encourage a dark, lonely, broken world. God wants us to be encouraged. He left the Impact Christian Church to be a wellspring of hope and encouragement. Philippians 2.1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Hebrews 10.25, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Ephesians 2, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to serve and to encourage one another. This morning, in the midst of Red Square, Moscow, lies the bodily remains of an atheist, Vladimir Lenin. His body is in a crystal clear glass casket. Thousands of Russians file by his body every year. It's a national monument. And since it's been there almost 100 years now, and in airtight, temperature-controlled, on the outside of his casket it reads, he was the greatest leader of all peoples, of all nations, of all times. Why was he called? He was the atheist who helped to bring communism to Russia and to much of the globe. It said, he was the lord of the new humanity. He was the savior of the world. Everything written about that atheistic leader is written in the past tense. He was, he was, he was. I thank God we've not gathered here to celebrate that Jesus Christ lies and stayed in some fancy casket. But I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And I know that he's living whatever men may say. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the dead to encourage us. Romans 8:11 says, Do you not know that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead wants to give life to your mortal bodies? He not only raised Jesus from the dead to change history from B.C. to A.D., he raised Jesus from the dead to change my destiny. Not just change history, but to change my destiny of one of despair and hopelessness to eternal hope and everlasting encouragement. And if he can raise Jesus from the dead and raise my dust up and give me heaven, he can raise this week. He can resurrect your mission this week. He can resurrect your hopes, your love this week. He can resurrect marriage and a marriage that's dead on arrival that the attorneys are ready to throw dirt on. God wants to resurrect something in all of us. Hope, love, encouragement. Vladimir Lenin's dead body is a reminder to me of a living Savior. Uh, the CNN sent a fellow by the name of Gary Tuckman from, uh, he's with the uh, Cooper 360. And so he was following me around for about a day and a half, and he finally said, aren't you conservatives discouraged about what's going on in Washington? And I looked at him and I said, Gary, we're concerned about Washington, but our hope is not in Washington. 
Our hope is in the empty tomb, and the last time I looked, Easter is still on the calendar. About 10 minutes later, I asked him, I said, when you close your little piece with that, would you please just make that the closing mark? And to Gary Tuckman's uh, credit, he did do just that. I want to say we're concerned about our world around us. But I'm thankful to God that my eternity is not going to be determined by anything that goes on at Congress. My eternity is determined by what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. The eternal plus sign in history. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, the Christ of the empty tomb invites us to share his encouragement with a broken world. The Christ of the empty tomb invites us to share Amazing grace, abundant life, everlasting hope. This morning, this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who've fallen asleep. That's a term used for those who've died. Don't grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring Jesus, with Jesus, those who've fallen asleep in him. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory we have in Christ transcends cancer, transcends COVID. We'll be standing alongside with a living Lord and a loving Savior when COVID is in the dustbin of history. COVID will come and go, and the Word of God will still shine a bright light to a lost world. This morning... We are looking to our world that is broken in need of world-class encouragers. How can we quickly, as we close our time, how can we quickly become a world-class encourager in a dark world? One, graft your heart with Jesus Christ. If you're united with Christ, if you're grafted with Jesus, you become a part of the divine encourager. You practice the presence of the living God. Encouragement re-educates the mind to God's possibilities. There are people who've crawled into an emotional cave that need the light of God's love to experience a fresh touch of hope. You become that lifeline of hope. If you are grafted with Jesus and his encouragement and his love and his life and his spirit, we reach out to a world that's broken. Encouragement transforms degenerative thought patterns. If you're in a cycle of deterioration, In the bondage of stinking thinking and hardening the attitudes, bitterness over the past that can't be changed, you're in the middle of a bondage of discouragement, hurting over wounds that you've nursed for years, know that the Lord of love and life wants to set you free. He said, I've come to set you free. Encouragement helps to free us from the bondage. People are shackled by discouragement, shackled by addictions, trapped by circumstances, mistakes in their life over yesterday they can't undo. I was with a man a while back and looked at me and said, Russell, I've had three divorces. Then God found my life and resurrected my days. And what I've got left, he's now serving as a missionary with his fourth chapter in his 60s, and he's serving as a missionary, making a difference in places that nobody else will go. Encouragement inspires people to reach their God-given potential, freeing us from being focused on the pain of the malignant past to the potential that God's awesome future of tremendous possibility weave your life with people who are spirit-filled. Not only graft your life with God, 
But weave your days in small groups, ministry teams, with people who are spirit-filled, celebrative, and affirming. It's contagious. I was called to Pioneer Trace Nursing Home in Flemingsburg, Kentucky. I was serving a little church. I was 22 years old. And a lady there was a nurse, 68, and she'd had a stroke over half of her body. And I don't know what had happened in her past, but she had been divorced from her family, her children. The nurses said, Russell, she hasn't had a visitor in three weeks. Not one person has come to visit Tony Belk. She's not spoken to any of us. She lives as if she's in a catatonic state, and she shouldn't. But she doesn't speak to any of us. I would go, and my first time, I'd pray and read the Bible, and she said nothing. The second week, I went and prayed. and The third week, I went and said, in my Father's house are many mansions, John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. The first words I heard Tony Belk say, preacher, I wished I could believe that. And I took her by the hand, and I showed her her thumbprint, and I said, Tony, as sure as God gave you a thumbprint, he wants to forgive you, he loves you, he wants you to be adopted, he wants you to be in his family, he wants you to have grace and to go to heaven with him forever. Over the next few weeks, we studied and shared and prayed. Tony would give her life to Christ, and we took a chair, and four of us with her crippled body lured her into the baptistry at Elizaville Christian Church and baptized that 68-year-old lady crippled up by life. She came out of that baptistry. I went by to see her a couple weeks later, and I couldn't find her in her room. And the nurse said, Russell... Tony Belk is going room to room looking for coherent people who need hope. She's cross-pollinating encouragement. Tony Belk would lead five people to Christ at Pioneer Trace Nursing Home. They eventually allowed us to use their therapeutic tub for baptistries. Tony Belk became an evangelist. She transitioned from being a person of despair. She told me later, they didn't know it, but I was saving up my medications. I wanted to commit suicide. I was done with life. I was in a dark place. She felt hopeless, helpless, worthless, and she was done. But then Christ. But then God's word, amazing grace, transitioned her entire life and she became a lifeline. Weave your life with spirit-filled people. He's called Joseph in Acts 4. Joseph is called Barnabas for 34 times after that. They changed his name. He made an offering to the church in Acts 4. And what he did was, they said, your son of encouragement, Barnabas. 34 times he's called Barnabas, son of encouragement. We have no sermon he's ever preached, no song he's ever sung, no New Testament book that bears his name, but because God reached through Barnabas, he spent a year with Saul of Tarsus when no one else wanted to spend time with him. Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul who writes much of the New Testament. If your friends were to give you a nickname today, Barnabas, responsible, steady, loyal, faithful, or would it be gossip, critic, lazy, half-hearted? I thank God that row by row those here are named Barnabas, so to speak. 
faithful in season and out of season, to give, to love, to share, to witness? Who are the Barnabases that stayed with you through the darkest nights? I got a phone call in Colorado. They said, Russell, you need to come home quick. Your wife has had a stroke. A massive eight-hour bleed. We're not sure she's going to make it. Get home quick. When I went into the hospital, the doctor said, sir, I'm sorry. We're going to do all we can do, but he showed me the CAT scans. He said, brains that are traumatized like this don't get to the hospital, and those that do don't go home. You need to go home and get your things in order, sir. We're going to do all we can, but there's only so much we can do. But all across America, thousands upon thousands began to pray for my babs. And today, because of God's grace and God's healing power and the intervention of faithful people to encourage the prayer, she's sitting right back there in the back row. And all God's people said, Amen. Who has been? Who has been? I mean, if we will applaud for a team moving a football that far, when God moves in a life and saves a life, we oughtn't be afraid to applaud in the life of the church. Amen? When the goodness of God moves in life, we're on the playing floor of life. We ought to be helping each other forward. When someone falls and stumbles, you be the one to lift and move them forward. John Ortberg writes, there's two kinds of people, balcony people and basement people in the church. Balcony people are those who are always lifting you up, looking at life from a great perspective, shouting down their encouragement to you. Balcony people know your faults. They're realistic about your shortcomings. They understand your flaws and love you anyway for the vision that God has for you. Everyone needs to have a balcony person. You need to be a balcony person for somebody. Proverbs 12 An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. A note of encouragement, a phone call, a gift, a kind deed. Proverbs 15, the tongue brings healing. That's the tree of life. That's a balcony person. On the other hand, there's basement people. All of us have known some basement people along the way. There are folks with mildew, moldy attitudes, mildewed spirits, You can do anything right, nothing right around these people. I mean, whatever you do, it's wrong. Whatever you do, it's got to be better. Their words hang heavy with the damp air of pessimism. The longer you're with them, you feel yourself descending into their darkness. Basement people very seldom build anything beyond the basement. They often resent balcony people who seem to get the job done and finish the course with joy. And if they can't hinder balcony people from becoming... The least they can do is question their motives, spread rumors, and fuel doubt whenever possible. Basement people in the life of the church are like sub-pumps, constantly draining the joy. If you get excited, they'll provide a wet blanket. If you find a silver lining, they'll put a cloud in front of it. Paul grafted his life with others and became a world-class encourager. The author, the poet said, somebody cares and always will. The world forgets, but God loves you still. You cannot go beyond his love, no matter what you're guilty of. For God forgives until the end. He is your faithful, loyal friend. And though you try to hide your face, there is no shelter any place. 
that can't escape his watchful eye. For on the earth and in the sky, he's ever present and always there to take you in his tender care. Bind the wounds and mend the breaks when all the world around forsakes. Somebody cares and loves you still, and God is the someone who always will. And God reaches through us like reaching through a glove to touch others in need. Graft your heart with God. Practice his presence. Weave your life with spirit-filled people. Thirdly, hold firmly to the promises, the truth of God's word. Romans says, for everything written in the past was to teach us so that through the encouragement of scriptures, we may have hope. God intended for us to become people of hope. Note this, baptism is important. It's mentioned 83 times in the Bible. Repentance is mentioned 55 times. Confession, 18 times. The Lord's Supper, seven. We honor this. But we are commanded and commended to encourage one another 109 times. I begin to understand that encouragement is not an option. It's a divine imperative, a divine mission. I want to encourage you one last item. On this next slide, go on up there if you would. We're to choose to praise. Practice his presence. If I'm going to be a world-class encourager, I've got to surround myself with people who leaven, who are encouragers. His word is going to be grafted into my DNA, but I've got to choose to praise. I've got to choose in my life that I've been saved from the pit of hell. I'm going to rescue somebody else. I'm going to be a lifeline for someone at arm's reach. Dawson Trotman was chosen by Billy Graham to give birth to uh, the Navigators. He was having these great revivals where people were being saved, and they had the Navigators to follow the Billy Graham Crusades to encourage those people who had just given their hearts to Christ to find life-giving churches. In Ohio, after the Billy Graham Crusade in Columbus, 54 people were sent from that that grafted with our church family after the revival. Dawson Trotman started the Navigators. He was in upstate New York years ago on vacation when in the summer uh, a boat across the way capsized and he raced over and he jumped in the water, helped one person to safety. As he lifted the second person up, Dawson Trotman had a heart attack and died that day. Time magazine said, Dawson Trotman always lifting others up. Jesus went to the cross. Whenever you see a cross, no, Jesus always lifting others up. Bow your heads with me if you would, and I want you to ask God to graft your life with Jesus, the divine encourager. Practice his presence through music, through worship, through prayer. But ask God to weave your life with spirit-filled, contagious, celebrative people. Ask the Lord to weave your heart with his word. Scriptures would be inscribed on your spirit, your soul. The anchor of our hope. And ask God to help you to determine to be a person of praise to honor him, to celebrate, to be grateful, to be thankful. 
Lord, today we're thankful you created us. And in a dark world, God, we need your hope. There is no politics today that can save us, God. We understand it. There is nothing comes out of any medical lab that can cure us of discouragement. God, we need your help. And to a discouraged world, may the church be a light of love. To a fearful world, may the church be a place of courage. To a lost world that's crippled, God, by their past, may we be the healers who lift up the broken. May the impact Christian church, God, be a place of celebration, a place, God, of contagious joy. I pray in Jesus' name for the baptism of encouragement on the life of this place. May people come to those doors and sense there's a living God and a loving Savior because of this fellowship. Cleanse our hearts, God, of any crud of the world and fill our days with life and the purpose of Jesus, our encourager. In his name we pray, amen.